0: resurrected king. Oh, death, where is your sting? Uh, the resurrected king has rendered you defeated. Aren't you glad that Jesus defeated the power of sin and the power of death and the power of the grave? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, Sherry. Beautiful song. It uh, goes right in line uh, with everything the scripture says that Jesus came to do. He came to die on the cross to take away our sin. And nothing but the blood can do that. That's the title of our sermon today from Psalm 32. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I've shared with you all on a few occasions that when I was in seminary, I worked at Chick-fil-A. And one of the things we had to do to be prepared for health inspections is to make sure all the chemical bottles were labeled properly. Sometimes you can put a a cleaning solution inside a spray bottle in order to clean. and, And the health department wanted to make sure all those things were labeled properly. You know why that is, of course, because if you ingest the wrong thing, it would be deadly. And so it's important to know what is inside the bottles. Uh, You can label it special sauce all you want, but if it's poison and you ingest it, it will kill you. We live in a culture today that wants to change all the labels. Nobody wants to call anything sin anymore. They want to label it as something else. There is no such thing in the eyes of our culture as right or wrong anymore. No such thing as good or evil. Those things are archaic in thought, but you can label it anything you want, but if it's sin, it will kill you. It will destroy you. In fact, the Bible mentions the word some sort of the some form of the word sin over 470 times in its pages. So in God's eyes there is such a thing as sin and what God labels sin doesn't matter what we label it. It's still sin. And the wages of sin is death. And so we've got a God who hates sin and a God who judges sin and a God who punishes sin. So where does that leave us? If we are sinners, which the Bible says we are. Well, what you need to do is confess your sins to God in order to receive the blessings of His forgiveness. This forgiveness is available to you, but you must come to God on His terms, and that is through humbly acknowledging and confessing your sin to Him and pleading nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want to encourage you to stand with me if you're able this morning. We do this in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. Psalm 32, starting at verse 1, and David writes these following words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord... Loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all who are upright in heart. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you at this time in our service when we put our focus on your word, and we know God, this is your word, your inspired and errant, infallible word, and it is authoritative, and God we submit ourselves to what you have written in your word. Father as we approach this subject of sin it's not popular in our culture anymore but Lord what you call sin what you call wicked is still sin it is still wicked it is still deadly so Lord let us have the proper perspective on our sin and let us have the the proper perspective on the only solution the only antidote to sin that is the blood of Jesus Christ if there be anyone within the sound of my voice that has never trusted in the blood of Jesus to cleanse them from their sin I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit you convict them and you draw them to the cross where they might humbly confess and repent and believe and be born again Lord anoint the preaching of your word today with power give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth we pray this in Jesus name, Amen thank you, you may be seated Psalm 32 is classified as one of the penitential psalms. There are seven of which in the book of Psalms. These particular psalms deal with the subject matter of guilt and confession of guilt. We see in the superscription here it is a psalm of David. We are not told the specific situation revolving around this psalm, but most believe it has something to do with the sin of David which he committed with Bathsheba. If you remember in the book of 2 Samuel David saw a woman who was married he lusted after her he committed adultery with her she became pregnant he had the woman's husband put to death on the battlefield and then claimed this woman as his wife and of course layers upon layers of sin in that scenario. But through God's providential hand and through the the brave words of the prophet Nathan David confessed his sin and repented but beforehand He dealt with the the guilt and the shame and it weighed heavily upon him for quite some time. And so most believe this fits into David's life looking back on that scenario and the lessons that he learned about sin and confession. We're told also that this is labeled as a masculine. We don't know exactly what that means but most believe it is a, a psalm that teaches wisdom and instructs in the wise way and perhaps has something to do with the way the psalm is artistically crafted. But nevertheless, it does deal with the subject matter of sin and it teaches us several valuable lessons. First of all, you must consider your sins against God. Consider them. Forgiveness it starts with acknowledging of your wrongdoing. You must consider how you have wronged God. He starts this psalm in verse 1 with, How blessed! And again in verse 2, how blessed! The word blessed there, how blessed, reminds us back in Psalm 1. That's how the entire book started, wasn't it? How blessed is he who follows the Lord? It's also the first words of the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 5. And the word blessed there in the Hebrew is actually in the plural. It's like blessed, but blessed more than once, blessed multiple times and, and we could we could translate this as oh how blessed oh the blessed state oh the, the many blessings that God pours out upon the man the abundant happiness how does that come about first of all through the realization of sin Understanding the reality of sin and and, and the reality of sin, the fallen nature of mankind, it's assumed already in this psalm, is it not? Verse 1 talks about the man whose transgression is forgiven, his sin is covered, who the Lord does not impute iniquity. David here is assuming the reality of sin. It is a real thing. David acknowledges that and so must we and that's where it starts. We must acknowledge the reality of this thing called sin an evil rebellion against God. It's the outworking of an inner problem we have all inherited. As human beings, we have imputed to us the sin nature that leads us to rebel against God. The realization of sin. And then in, in verse 1 and 2, he talks about the remission of sin, how we can be forgiven. He uses three words here he uses the words transgression, sin, and iniquity. Transgression deals with the attitude of, of rebellion. It's being a, a rebellious person, having transgression against God. The word sin is literally an archery term. It means an arrow missing the mark. Much like our wildcat shooters did yesterday. A lot of arrows were flying, but those arrows were missing the mark, unfortunately. it's what the word sin means. To, to shoot for, but fall away from the targets. Iniquity it has to deal with, with corruption or perversion and we, we add these three words together and we see the attitude and the activity and the overall nature of sin, the corruption the depravity of mankind. But then along with those three words, David uses these words dealing with being forgiven of our sins or, or having our, our sins covered at the end of verse 1 the covering of sin reminds us of the law in the Old Testament if you remember like once a year the high priest was to enter into the most holy place of the temple with blood from an animal sacrifice and he was to take that blood and sprinkle it over the covering of the Ark of the Covenant It's called the mercy seat what this was doing it was acknowledging that bringing the blood in the presence of God there was guilt but there was an innocent offering, an innocent victim that it shed its blood for the covering of sin and the sprinkling of that blood on the mercy seat was representative of our sin being covered by God. That was in the Old Testament law, And David wrote these things. In fact, we see in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 11, it says, "...for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls." For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. By God's design, an innocent victim must shed its blood, lose its life, to cover for sin. And he goes on to say at the end, or at the beginning of verse 2, he says, How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, does not impute. Even though we deserve this punishment, we deserve this iniquity, but the Lord does not do this. It is God acting in this way. God forgives. God covers. God does not impute. Even though, as sinners, we deserve this. It is the blood that covers sin. And the book of Hebrews even reminds us of this. Hebrews 9.22, it says, According to the law, one must almost say that all things are cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But then Jesus clarifies for us exactly whose blood is shed for our forgiveness Matthew 26:28 and sharing the last supper with his disciples he said this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins it is the blood of Jesus Christ ladies and gentlemen and the blood of Christ alone that makes atonement that makes a covering of our sins and forgives us of our rebellion against God the remission of sin But then we have to begin with this recognition of sin. The psalmist talks about this too. We must recognize our own sin. Label it as such. At the end of verse 2 he says, In whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, not lying about your sin. Not trying to pretend it's not there. Acknowledging that you have a problem. Quit lying to yourself, deceiving yourself. God already knows you have sin. And so what you need to do is fess up to that. Recognizing and not deceiving yourself because you're not deceiving God. No deceit in your heart. Acknowledging that you have a problem is the first step towards having that problem solved. Imagine if you woke up one day and you realized that your mortgage or your car payment or whatever loan, student loans or whatever you may have was completely paid off and you just suddenly no longer got any bills in the mail and you were kind of wondering about that so you call the lending institute and you say I'm not receiving any more bills what's going on and they were to tell you your your loan's paid in full and you say well wait a minute I didn't pay that who did? and then your lending institution says we did we did you're like no wait a minute I owed you and you just completely paid my debt? And they say, yes. That's exactly what happens to us. We are in sin debt to God. We have rebelled against God. We have sin, iniquity, transgression against God. And David said, how blessed is the man whom God pays this off for them. Paid in full, it is finished. As Steve alluded to, once and for all, payment was made. Consider your sins against God David says at the end of verse 2 in whose spirit there is no deceit which leads us to our second point don't conceal your sins from God don't try to conceal your sins and, and cover them up and pretend they're not there because God knows they're there and here David candidly shares from his own experience his own life experience he, he is imparting knowledge and says he's saying look I've done this before and it does not work. It does not work. He talks about the suppressing of sin in verse 3. He says, When I kept silent about my sin, when I tried to say there was no sin, refusing to acknowledge I have sin. And usually when someone is, is, is told that they are wrong about something, what is the typical response? We become defensive, don't we? And then we begin to justify our actions. Well... It may be wrong, but I'm doing this because of whatever. We begin to justify, or we maybe shift the blame. Well, the only reason I'm doing this is because so-and-so is doing this. And we don't want to own up to our own sin. And David says he he tried that when I kept silence, as if God would not know my sin was there. He talks about sorrowing from sin in verses 3 and 4 when I kept silent about my sin my my body wasted away literally my bones began to waste away through my groaning all day long through my my roaring out to God crying out because of my suffering all day long and he says for day and night the reason that he was groaning and the reason he was wasting away was because day and night your hand was heavy upon me You know what David was feeling in these moments? Conviction. Because he was a child of God. And he was not behaving as a child of God ought to. And he was underneath the chastening hand of the Father, of God Almighty. And God was making his life miserable. He was in agony. There was divine displeasure against David's actions and his attitude and his attempt to cover it up. God was not pleased. The conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon said the Holy Spirit is the hound of heaven. He will pursue you and He will chase you and He will make your life miserable. If there is anyone here, myself included, that is, that is engaging in sin in their lives and they have refused to confess that to God as wrong, I pray the Holy Spirit Himself will sick you. He will seek after you and chase you, pursue you, and make your life miserable, a living hell, until you acknowledge what you are doing is wrong and you confess that to God. The first step towards forgiveness. Sorrowing from sin, but also suffering from sin. Verse 4 goes on to say, My vitality, my, my strength, uh, literally my juices were turned into the drought of summer. His vitality was sapped. His strength, physically he was hurting. Now, we are created as human beings, mind, body, and soul, and all of that is intric- intricately connected. When you're not feeling well physically, you don't think properly. When something is bothering you emotionally, it can have an effect on you physically. Stress will weigh you down and wear you out. Same thing is true with sin. Sin. If you have sinned against God spiritually and you are trying to to hide that from God, conviction will, will wear you out and make you sick. And we see here a connection between sin and suffering. David was undergoing that and it was no fun at all. He says, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. And there's the Hebrew word selah we've already seen that before in our study of Psalms most believe it means to pause take a moment and reflect upon what you just said my vitality, my strength was drained away as with the fever heat of summer I'm all dried up all dried up Selah, pause think about what sin does to us now not all sickness is caused by sin you know, if you woke up this morning and you got a headache or a sore throat or your stomach's not feeling well it's it's not automatically well, I've sinned, and God's punishing me I, but you know sometimes that is the case, and so what we're there is do some soul searching and figure out lord is is there something that you are trying to teach me or show me? Am I out of line in some way, and if i am god i'll i I'll, I'll confess that. Consider the example of the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They were not conducting themselves properly in worship, particularly around the Lord's Supper. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 11 verses 28 through 30, he says, "...but a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly." For this, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, literally have died. He said, because they did not consider the things of God as holy. They did not conduct themselves properly. God had made some of them sick. God had even killed some of them for their lack of reverence. So sometimes there is a connection there between suffering and sin. The solution... Don't conceal your sin from God. He knows it's there. You might as well fess up to it. And that's what David gets to next, verses 5 through 7. Confess your sins to God. Confess them to God. You see, what happens is when you sin, Satan tries to convince you to say, you might as well cover that up from God because if God finds out what you did, God's going to punish you for it. God already knows what you did. But Satan tries to tell you, keep that thing under wraps. Because He does not want you to receive forgiveness. He wants you to suffer. He wants to, uh, he, he wants to uh, acquit you. He wants to blame you. He wants to accuse you. And if you confess that to God, His power is gone. Once sin comes into the light, its power is gone. But sin kept in the darkness has a strong grip on you. Once you bring it to the light, it's powerless because of what Christ has done. Confess your sins to God. First of all, forgiveness requires honesty. You've got to be honest and open with God. That's what David said in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Several things about this. First of all, those three words for sin that were in verses 1 and 2, David uses those same words here in verses 5 and 7. He talks about his sin... Iniquity and transgressions. And by the way, he labels them as my sin. My iniquity. My transgressions. He owns up to it and says, I did it, God. It's mine. I'm guilty as charged. And he acknowledged his sin. He confessed his sin. And notice who he does this to. It's to God. He says, to you. I I acknowledge my sin. I said, I will confess my sin to the Lord. He didn't need a man to stand between Him and God. did not need a high priest to come between Him and God. He went directly to God. And the way that you and I can do that is through Jesus Christ, through His shed blood. We have a great high priest who stands at the right hand of God, who intercedes on our behalf. We go directly to God through Christ. We confess our sins to God. Now, there sometimes is value in confessing your sins to others, to other Christian brothers and sisters, especially if you're asking them to hold you accountable. If you've sinned against somebody, you should confess that to them. Acknowledge that to them. There's value in that. But ultimately, every sin is against God in the end. And so we've got to confess our sins to God. Forgiveness requires honesty. Honesty. And then he says at the end of verse 5, David said, I acknowledge my sin. I said, I will not hide my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave me. Selah. Said, Stop and think about that. I said, God, i sinned against you. God said, I know. I was just waiting for you to acknowledge that. I will lift your burden now it was as if it was instantly lifted from him. He was groaning all day, all night. God's hand was heavy on him. My strength was drained. I said, God, I sinned against you and you forgave me like that. You didn't lay more burden on me. It said, you got to dig yourself out, son. You've got to work yourself out of the doghouse. No, he said instantly, you forgave me. Selah. Think about that. You've got a God who's ready to forgive you right here, right now. All you got to do is own up to it. Confess that sin to God. Repent of that sin. Agree with God's assessments. Don't try to change the label on it and cover it up. It's sin. Call it what it is. Forgiveness requires honesty and humility. Verse 6. He says, Therefore, because of that knowledge that God forgives sin, therefore... Let everyone who is godly do what? Pray to you. We need God. You want forgiveness of sin? You need God. You've got to humble yourself and acknowledge God. i got sin. I can't cover it up. Only you can. God, please forgive me. He says pray to God. Not only that, but He says pray to God. Pray to you in a time when you may be found. There is urgency in this. David says there are moments, God, when you are near and we need to seize that opportunity and pray to you. Because if we don't, there may be seasons in our life where we don't feel God is close. We might not feel the conviction as strong as we ought. Ladies and gentlemen, if you feel conviction of sin, if you feel God's heavy hand upon you this morning, God is here, right here, right now. Don't waste another moment. Confess that sin to God. Call it sin, acknowledge that to God, I've sinned against you. Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Forgiveness requires honesty and humility, and also forgiveness requires hope. You gotta hope. Verse seven, David said, You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. He said, You're my protection, you're my preservation. You surround me with songs of deliverance da- hoping in God. God, if I have have any chance of being forgiven, I've got a hope in you that you are who you say you are and that you'll do what you say you will do. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Perhaps he's talking about in his personal worship life, but I believe there's an element of corporate worship in there too. There's something about coming into the presence of God amongst God's people singing hymns of praise to God, songs of praise, songs of deliverance, acknowledging your sin to God, fleeing to God through Christ, having your sins forgiven, being surrounded with songs of deliverance to God. Requires hope, doesn't it? We have hope that God will forgive us and we lean upon Him. Confess your sins to God. For the last several months, I've been going to the gym with Gary Riddle. He's not in here this morning, so I'll brag on him. And Gary's gotten into a, a real good health kick, and he is working out and eating nutritiously, and he's changed his physique, and and uh, I'm proud of him for the commitment that he's made. And several months ago, I was considering, man, I need to get back in the gym and get back in shape, and and he approached me one Sunday morning and said, "You want to come to the gym and and work out with me this week?" I said, "Man, I've been I've been looking for that." And so. It's good, to, especially when you're lifting weights, to have a partner there with you. You've got somebody there that's going to encourage you, somebody there that's going to motivate you, but even more important, you've got somebody there that will do what we call spotting. When you're lifting some heavy weights, you'll attempt to lift a little more weight if you know you've got somebody there that if it gets a little too heavy for you, you've got somebody there that's going to spot you and help you lift that weight help take that burden off you because you can't do it You're just I don't have enough strength to get this bar up off my chest buddy help me please take some humility in that having a spotter is a good thing and what we see in this psalm is David is saying I've got this weight of sin this weight of guilt and God when I confess that to you you're like the spotter who lifts that burden away from me you lift it off of me You forgive me, you take that burden, that weight up off my chest. I couldn't push it off, God, but you were there to spot me. When I ask for help, God, you're there. And you have forgiven me and lifted my weight. Confess your sins to God. Finally, confront your sins with God. Having been forgiven and coming to that acknowledgement, how do you stop sin's return? Because sin doesn't want to stop. It wants to try to come back at you again and again. This week I went to visit Adam's grandparents. And this is Frances Kincaid. She's not doing well in her health. And so I went by the house to visit her and saw Mr. Kincaid out in the yard with a, with a shovel. I thought, man, this fellow's out here doing some yard work. And So when I went in and talked to him, found out what he was doing out in the yard with that shovel, he was Killing snakes. <laughs> killing snakes. And he said, I don't like snakes. He said, I'd rather, I'd rather go out in the yard and kill them out in the yard before they have an opportunity to get into the house. And I said, brother, that makes perfect sense to me. I'm right there with you. You know, that's what we need to do with sin. We need to be proactive, and do we not? If sin is like those snakes out in the yard, we need to kill that sin before it gets in the house. The, the Puritans called it the mortification of sin, killing sin. When temptation comes our way, to know how to deal with that, how to handle that, how by God's power to put sin to death. That's what David alludes to here. First of all, you need to listen to His Spirit. Verses 8 and 9, God says, I will instruct you, and I will teach you in the way you need to go. I will instruct you and teach you. That's what Jesus said in the New Testament in the Gospel of John that the Holy Spirit would do for his disciples the Holy Spirit would do that he says in verse 8 I will counsel you with my eye upon you and counselor that's another word in the New Testament used for the Holy Spirit God as a Christian God has given you the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin when you get out of line but he's also there to counsel you to keep you out of sin so don't, uh, don't go down that path you don't want to walk that way you don't want to go that way there's danger ahead you want to go this way. And what we need to do as Christians is listen to the voice of the Spirit through the Word of God, through prayer, through the counsel of other Christians. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and follow it. He says in verse 9, Don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding. You see, a horse sometimes will just run straight ahead without knowing where it's going. We do that sometimes. We, we run into sin, don't we? Without even thinking about it, we just do it. Feel the temptation or the urge, just do it. What society says feels good, feels good, do it. If you want to do it, do it. Holy Spirit says, uh uh. Don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule. The mule's stubborn. The mule goes a certain way and you try to get to go the other way, don't want to go. You gotta fight that mule. It says, Don't be like that. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. Follow His direction. Follow His instruction and you'll be alright. It's when we don't listen we get into problems. Verse 10 also says what we need to do is lean upon His Son. It says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord. You see, there's a distinction there. There are those who are wicked on one hand. On the other hand, there are those who trust in the Lord. You're either one of those two camps this morning. Either you're wicked or you're trusting in the Lord. Which are you doing? Trusting in the Lord. Leaning upon the Lord. Leaning upon Jesus. Leaning on the everlasting arms, as we like to sing. You do that because you believe that Jesus died for your sins. And you believe Jesus rose again to give you victory over your sins. And so you lean upon Him. You trust in Him rather than trusting yourself. It's just the only way to be forgiven. You lean upon His Son and you trust in the Lord. Which leads us back to this whole idea of confession. Satan says, Don't confess your sins to God. God will punish you. And God says, Confess your sins to me. I will forgive you. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust the voice of Satan? are you going to trust the voice in the Word of God? You are trusting in His Son who says... Whoever will confess his sins, I will forgive their sins, and I will cleanse them from all unrighteousness. We trust in the Son. He says, many are the sorrows of the wicked on the one hand, but on the other hand, those who trust in the Lord, loving kindness shall shall surround Him. Loving kindness, the Hebrew word hesed, the covenant love of God, the grace of God will be upon Him and surround Him. Like those songs of deliverance in verse 7, They will surround you in God. So will God's mercy and loving kindness surround you. If you trust. If you faith in God. Trust in the Lord. You trust in Him. Loving kindness. The covenant faithfulness of God will be all around you. Finally, you need to live with His satisfaction. He ends the psalm with a call to praise. David has talked about some very dark days in his life. Some very painful moments in his life. His bones aching and crying out to God. The heavy hand of God upon him. His vitality being drained. He's talked about some very dark places in his life. But then he ends with this acknowledgement. This call to praise. And he invites you and me to join him in this. Notice the commands. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice you righteous ones and shout for joy be glad rejoice and shout have you come to church this morning with that attitude have you come to church to be glad in the Lord for He has lifted your burden of sin have you come to rejoice because you don't deserve forgiveness but God has given it to you have you come to church this morning have you come to church this morning to shout for joy and let that impact the way you sing, and the way you pray, the way you greet one another, the way you give. All covered in joy, living in His satisfaction. Because He's done something for you you don't deserve, but He's done it anyway. Because He loves you. He desires a relationship with you. Sin has gotten in the way of that, but God Himself paid that debt for you through the cross. He says, Pray to me. Confess your sins to me. Trust in the death of my son. I'll forgive you. I will take care of that sin problem. Exuberant worship for those who are righteous because they're forgiven by God, those who are upright in heart because God has changed their hearts, taken that heart of stone, replaced it with the heart of flesh. It's by faith and repentance that that happens God's covering is always sufficient this psalm talks about God covering his iniquity, God's covering is always sufficient, if you don't believe me ask Adam and Eve remember in Genesis 3 they sinned against God, they went and hid themselves from God God already knew they sinned they were trying to hide that sin from God try to hide that shame from God you know what they did to cover their shame they sewed together fig leaves as if that was going to be enough, God says, here, I'll give you a better covering. I'll give you animal skins to give you a better covering. But you know what had to happen in order for the animal skins to be given? God had to kill an animal. God had to sacrifice an innocent victim so that its skin would cover sufficiently the shame of Adam and Eve. Ladies and gentlemen, you have sin in your life. And quit trying to cover up your own sin. Your own covering is not adequate. It's only the covering that God supplies through the death of His Son on the cross for your sin. That is the only covering that is sufficient for your sin, your iniquity, your transgression. Whether you want to label it or not, you've got it. You have sin, you have transgression, you have iniquity. What are you going to do with it? You see, God is just. He must punish that sin. He will punish that sin. There's a place the Bible calls hell. Folks, it's real. It's real and it's waiting for you unless you acknowledge your sin to God, you trust in the sacrifice of Jesus to cover your sin, you trust in His power over sin and death through the resurrection, and you give yourself to Him completely. Confess your sins to God and receive the blessings of His forgiveness. We might equate it like this. Your guiltiness plus His grace equals your gladness and His glory. Your guiltiness plus His grace equals your gladness that your sins are lifted and His glory because God did something for you you could never do for yourself. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we've come into Your presence this morning, and we do believe You're here. We feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, Your Word tells us we've got sin. That we've got evil. Whether we want to label it as that or not, we want to try to soften the blow, Your Word says it. And so therefore we believe it. The question is, what are we going to do about that sin? If we don't do anything, God, You're going to punish it. You're just. You're holy. You're righteous. But God, You're also a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of forgiveness. All we've got to do is approach You on Your terms. Come to You... Through repentance and confession, and say, "God, I've sinned." We confess our sin in a in a general sense. God, I, I, I'm just a sinner. I need forgiveness. We also confess sin specifically. If there is something going on in my life right now, God, that ought not be an attitude, a thoughts, a an ill feeling towards someone else a burden I'm carrying. God, I don't need it there. Lord, please forgive me. And Lord, let the blood of Jesus wash me. Your love ran red and my sin washed white. I owe it all to You, God, because You love me. There's no other explanation, God. Why would You do that? It's because You love me and You love these people. And you're ready to forgive right here, right now. We pray to you while you may be found. We call upon you while you may be found. Lord, we prayed several times today, but we pray once again, let today be the day of salvation. If there is anyone here that has never put their faith and trust in Christ, I pray they would do so right now. Lord, maybe somebody here feels less